0: Hi everyone, my name is Cameron Lopez. Hey everybody, my name is Marco Landon. And welcome to this episode
1: of Teacher Talks. So today we're gonna to be talking a little bit about the topic of the myth of agency. So first, when we think of that kind of small phrase and we were thinking about it, before we get into the actual topic at mind, Cam, what, what do you really mean by myth of agency? What does that mean exactly about what we're gonna be talking about? So when I
0: came up with this idea, or when we came up with this idea about myth of agency, I think I was trying to get at the point of Oftentimes teachers come in with, I'm gonna choose this novel, I wanna create these kind of assignments, I wanna create these kind of summative, which is a nice way of just saying the final. Um, and then oftentimes there is this either very linear curriculum that they have to follow or they have to meet, or there's like this specific outline of like, what you can do and what you cannot do. So I think that's where I was coming from when they came up with the idea of myth of agency. Got it, so what you're
1: trying to say is that when you're kind of going into teaching mode or kind of becoming a teacher, you have this idea or perception that you can do whatever you want. You can teach the things that were never taught inside schools, you can teach the type of books or the type of history that you were never taught before but you learn later on in your life. But there kind of is a roadblock that you meet when you actually go into the teaching world such as having to adhere to state standards, For sure. having to do state testing, so kind of like that, right?
0: And I feel like you and I know that from, like, I think any history English teacher knows that from first hand experience where a novel is now being censored or questioned based off of its validity because of maybe political alignments of, I don't want my kid learning this, or even historians are having to say like, I want to give them a different perspective of what actually happened or what was actually happening and then, no, that's not the, that's not either or that narrative or perspective is not accepted socially yet, so therefore it doesn't become part of, like, the learnings, you have to wait a whole four years into graduating from high school to enter into maybe a college course to say, oh, that's very opposite of what I've learned as a young kid. Right. I think it also makes it more of a unique kind of aspect that we do teach in the
1: humanities, right? Mm -hmm. I think being able to teach history and being able to teach English gives you that kind of almost freedom where you can teach about the wonders of the world or you can teach about race, class, gender, nationality, whereas opposed to maybe in the sciences and math, things are more kind of clear cut factual scientific method whereas we have a little bit more freedom or myth of freedom right right? and
0: i'm sure the science is like when it comes to the idea of climate change or global warming they're gray areas where teachers are maybe restricted of how they can talk about it, whether you're at a catholic school or a charter school or public school i do think that humanities teachers like you said carry most of that vogue of having to think about the myth of whether they have their own agency in their classroom whether they have to adhere to whatever hierarchy or Political or educational or political law you have to follow in order to meet the requirements. Yeah So I think for the purposes of this
1: uh, I like I said before I do teach college prep this year But I don't know if it would kind of contribute so much to the conversation So I'm gonna be talking more from a history teachers perspective as I taught it last year and I'm gonna be teaching it next year So the first thing that I want to ask a little bit cam is could you just kind of walk us through and it's okay if you don't have it completely planned from the beginning to the end, but what is your curriculum like for your English class? For can you first give us a little bit of background about the type of students you teach? Can you give us some background about what each unit or topic you're teaching and why you chose to do those things?
0: Okay. Um, hmm. Well, first off, the demographic within my own classroom but also for the school makeup is majority black and brown students. Right. And I think naturally any any teacher who wants to have their students feel represented that's not always required right to make them feel represented or seen but i think in order for them to really engage with the material that you're set forth that you want to set forth for them to understand and really just dive and just have like this buy-in mm-hmm. you need to think about books or topics or themes or questions that they can be like oh i can talk about our i can talk about this for hours and so when i'm choosing that that's always in the back of my mind so first i think about who's in my classroom i then think about what books I've read or that I need to read or that I've maybe discovered on my own that I haven't opened just yet that I think would help Mm -hmm. kind of frame those conversations into place into a more academic setting of like, we can talk about race and critical race theory all day long. However, are we going to use some kind of book or text to help us really focus our point, right? Because that becomes too scattered if we just have a a wide discussion, right? So when I choose that novel, then I go into what summative I want to think about. It's that backwards planning model. yeah. Like, what's the... And I hope he was like, Think about your question and your essay idea or your, your question first and then you go choose your, your book. I feel like I like to read the book first and then see what things come out of me so I'm able to then make that essential question then I'm able to then make that summative then I'm able to make those formatives that are gonna get them from point A to point B. Right. But that's usually how I start off my idea. And nine times out of 10, it's always black and brown authors. This time around though, I'm gonna be choosing a different um, author type. It's gonna be the white American novelist, mm. Kate Chopin. Who's amazing in my opinion and I think it just offers them a different sigh of relief of like okay cool because my my cousin Jordan she's a student of mine and she had sighed about and again like we're black and brown people Mm. she had sighed about I read another book about another like black or brown character mm. and i'm like oh, why'd you say it like that and she was like well because i'm already learning about it in either ethnic studies or in my class or maybe in their college prep courses got it and so i was like mm, interesting point let me now provide that same critique in those same conversations about, and maybe through a different lens maybe through somebody else right so they're able right. to ex- maybe ex- externally lead themselves but then also find commonalities amongst themselves internally as they read from a new perspective if that makes any sense. No,
1: yeah, it does make sense. And so I know that you taught a little bit about the curriculum that focuses mostly on black and brown folks. Can you walk us through about like in the past when you were a student, what that looked like in your English class? And if you wanted to kind of replicate what you were taught or how did you maybe create your own curriculum in your own way? Or were you even able to this year? Because I know you just tried and true it for the first semester right. and now you can give us the real honest idea about how it went. And also... How supportive people were in terms of that for you?
0: Yeah, I think when reflecting back on like my own experiences as an English student in high school or at the secondary level, right. had amazing teachers, had an amazing curriculum in my opinion. The books maybe weren't always centered around people who looked like me or had those same identity markers that I share, mm-hmm. and like maybe to my also to my peers as well. But the rigor was there. We learned a lot, and I think we applied a lot of what we did either in the real world or just in our academic setting as like undergrads or graduate students. But now that I'm on this end of the stick and now I'm actually teaching my curriculum, because times have changed, and it's mm-hmm. a whole 10-year gap that I've been in, that was a freshman again, right? And so the books that maybe were accepted culturally then are now coming up to question. Not that I want to reinforce those. I do think we should question books like To Kill a Mockingbird, right. right? But I also think it's the way in which you teach the book. Are we giving the perspective about the white characters? Are we finally putting some focus point and light on the actual black characters who are having to... Somewhat exists within this white society or this white vision or this white perspective, yeah. um, and so when I thought about possibly teaching that book, which I wasn't, but when I had mentioned it, it was more like, uh, "Yeah, no, I wouldn't go with that." And then I'm, but it's crazy because the very same teacher who who taught me is now the one telling me not to go with that, mm. even though we I've argued back and forth that well the perspective will change, and as a black teacher, right. Um, the approach of how I teaching this book is going to become very much different than than she did as a white teacher, right? right? At a time where she didn't understand that maybe it was, or at a time that all of us, even me as a, as a student, didn't understand anything was wrong with this book. And nothing I don't think is wrong with this book and that only thing the only thing I think it would, I would critique from this book is that a young white woman and a white lawyer are telling the lives of black folks and what their life mm. looks like in the judicial system when it comes to being wrongfully convicted. Just simply being black and how white people are having to showcase that for us when it should be a black person telling that story of what it is to be black. Yeah,
1: and so since this is the topic of talking a little bit about myth of agency, how do you feel that your curriculum, maybe you were promised freedom in what you could teach, kind of like your creative freedom and thinking about this book and author, but what were those roadblocks that kind of put that, like, oh wait, So I really don't really have the freedom. You can think a little bit about maybe the teaching standards that you have to do or maybe specifically for people who aren't in the education realm, what exactly do English teachers have to do all the time? Some things like testing or specific things that they need to do to graduate. Like what are those things that maybe if they weren't English teachers that maybe our listeners or other people might need to know?
0: I would say choosing the standards are always something I've been able to do from from the most part. I think even as teachers, I think we can choose our standards. We have to just make sure we meet so many Um, by the end of the semester, by the end of the academic year, so kids are well-rounded in so many different things. Mm -hmm. But I think when you're working under a microscope with a lot of other colleagues who are just as smart as you, just as Mm experts as you, just as experienced, or just as knowledgeable, it almost feels like as a freshman teacher, if the higher grade levels are not doing these type of literature or books or talking or discussions – you should not be doing that just yet then. And mm-hmm. it's almost like I have to wait in line. It's like a pecking order, I have to wait in line to right. really have my kids assert themselves as like literary critics or as right. scholars or people who can go for hours and I'm talking, really about, talking about really controversial or dense topics. Right. I think because a lot of the classics are now being questioned or not mm-hmm. being revamped to have a different perspective of how you can teach them, they're now pushing a lot of people into, talk about, do a lot of YA books in the young adult literature, mm-hmm. which I love. However, when I think about schools in our in our community that we're sharing in the same city with, they're still reading those dense, rigorous pieces of work that that I then feel puts our kids at a disadvantage because now we're reading something mm. like what's a, what's a standard book, uh, Sherman Alexie's right. um, True Diaries of a of an Part-time Indian. Indian, yeah, part time Indian, a great book by the way, but also eighth grade level book, and so for tenth graders or Ninth graders, 8th oh, grade book. So for 10th graders and ninth graders to read it, it almost feels like, who else is reading that book in this area, mm-hmm. right? And everyone else is reading maybe Shakespeare, which I don't like teaching him, or he's just too hard to even, like, discuss. But it's like, I'd rather do that to say my kids are in the same plane feel competitively mm-hmm. than anybody, than just not having ever exposed them to that, right? Yeah. And so I think sometimes as a new teacher, they're scared of which, oh, well, I haven't tried it yet, so you can't try that yet. And I'm ah. like, well, then you need to try it because I'm not going to wait. And I'm not going to move grade levels just to show that we can do rigor here, right? Yeah. So yeah. I'd rather start them off with this high expectation so that as they go through, it only gets higher, it only gets tougher as you go through. And that's just life in general. It's not a walk through the park the first time around. Right. And plus, as teachers, I would say that's kind of the skills that we want to be able
1: to instill in our youth, that there's going to be freaking hard-ass obstacles that come in your way. And sure. it might not come in the form of a book it might come in the form of taxes, it might come in the form of real life endeavors, Yeah. Um, but having to be able to show them that if you can struggle through difficult things, like reading a book that you don't understand what the hell they're talking about, you might be able to tackle these real life things. And mm. what I'm hearing from you is that maybe those people who are quote unquote veteran teachers who had more years under the belt than you, they could be saying things like, I don't think you should do it, even though they encouraged you mm. to kind of be agents in your own field. Yeah. I think something that was also um, not mentioned before was also how we legally need to be teaching standards, right? Um, Like the California state standards for anyone who doesn't know, we have history, PE, science, math, any of those things, English. We have to legally teach specific things that ninth graders are all supposed to learn about Mm -hmm. um, in all of the state of California. Or maybe all 10th graders, 11th grade, 12th graders. But not only that, English has one of the most places where you have to be constantly tested. I'm Mm -hmm. sure that if people know like NWA testing and I'm sure you can speak more a little bit about it. But tell us Cam like what is that extra layer of testing that English teachers specifically have to administer and specifically have to prepare for and how does that kind of clash with the agency that you wanted to have as a teacher?
0: Right and I think before we even think about that we talk about like who it reflects on. Right. Like yes. Students not performing at the highest reputation on on a standardized test is not a reflection of me. I'm not the one taking the test. I'm That's not the right. one. I'm not 120 kids make, taking the test with me. Um, it's not a reflection of them either of mm. what they know because I think everybody requires has different skills and has a different s- skill set that yeah. they can master different things and not have to be on the same line or a for what it is to be tested. Right. That's right. But what ends up happening, what I'm thinking, I'm seeing within our own school now is that when we're giving them standardized testing because we have not done i feel the job to push them mm. academically yeah then we look at our scores of like we want to put more emphasis in like in a support class or a camera could he be like right. he, he maybe could he review and re reinforce these standards one more time and i'm like we will do no question that's because at the end of the day it's for them to yeah. get their skills up but also get their testing scores as high as they as they can yeah. be right for themselves not for me but again it goes back to that point of like if we're choosing to not do, take those leaps of faith and like actually apply what those tests look like, and I'm not saying teaching the test, there's a very different difference of big teaching the test, but also teaching for the test. Mm. Um, that's true. And so if I give rigorous material and that's something that no one's tried before and it looks very similar to what they'll maybe see in a, in a few years back when they take their in, their, in their few years time when they take a test or a standard test, they be like, oh, I haven't read this article or this text before, but this passage is just as confusing, or just as in- or just as complex as the one I read in ninth, right. tenth, and eleventh grade. So here I am now seeing it once again, but having those skills just naturally transfer to yeah. those type of tests. And yeah, that's what I would say. It's a complicated duality. Yeah, very I, very interesting.
1: Yeah, I think like not only not only are English teachers in a very specific space where you have to where you basically get promise all the freedom to be able to teach what you ever want to do right. but then when you get to the classroom it's like hold up we have to teach this test that they have to take, the NWA. Mm-hmm. We got to get them ready for SBAC testing. Right. We got to get them ready for the exit test for high school. We got to get them ready for all of these things that mm-hmm. are out of your control. Not only that, you need to teach specific specific standards that may not even align to what you want to teach for your specific students. So right. this is kind of like where it all goes back to this idea of myth of agency. It's like we are promised to be able to teach whatever we want, being right. the people who have the creative mind, The liberators
0: in the classroom.
1: Exactly. But then you get met with these roadblocks that you have to abide by because it's our job to do that so it makes you question like what freedom do you really have as a teacher and why do people promise us this freedom and kind of liberty I think I can speak a little bit about like the history
0: sector yeah I was and, gonna ask you next I'm like I feel like that's yeah. a natural segue and like there's legal mm-hmm. responsibilities but there's also like social responsibilities but also like what is truth and what is not true yeah and like I'm, I'm wondering how you navigate that space
1: yeah so last year i was a history teacher for government economics and also u.s history um, i think what makes it a very unique thing is that history is the only class in i would say high school settings that you don't have to take standardized tests we got rid of that a while back i know english has to take it math is also part of the segment biology, Because they're cleaner,
0: they're cleaner subjects. So like, exactly. So like this is either
1: that or exactly. somewhat close to that. Exactly. Whereas for history, we don't have that. So that's why a lot of people, if you, people know, like history teachers don't really leave the field because it's a very cushy job. You go in, you teach, and you leave. You don't have to prepare them for any state tests. You don't have to be compared to why a student might be scoring kind of low, like what you were saying about how maybe if students were scoring low,
0: then it would be a reflection on the teacher rather than the youth, right? So would you say that maybe like if I tell them as a world history teacher right. and now they're taking U.S. history with you in 11th grade year, it's not a reflection of what I mm-hmm. didn't do. It's more like it's a whole different conversation in mm-hmm. the field now we get to just explore together from, from the scratch. Kind of. Okay. I would say
1: that we still have to abide by the California state standards, right? For like sure. History teachers, just like any other teacher with a subject, they have specific standards that you have to legally abide by. But I think what makes the agency of history classes is that you have to walk a very fine line. I think teaching history is one of those unique settings. And I'm not saying it's not like that for other subjects, right? But Mm -hmm. I can only speak for myself in that I truly believe that history is power, right? But now also being able to teach history and learn history, whether you're the student or the teacher, or sometimes you're both, right? Right. I think there is a level of power for what you learn in there. What I mean by that is that You are essentially helping children and youth and sometimes even adults try to understand how the world is the way it is today. And in order for them to understand how the world is today, you have to go back in time and try to see what were the circumstances that led us to this specific moment. Like, for example, why is it that in the United States, there are very few Native Americans that we see in our day-to-day that we might clearly identify as Native Americans, right? Mm-hmm. And in that specific setting, we would have to trace it back to history and wonder why specific communities that were once Native American land, like for example, LA being the Tongva or San Diego, where I also have Native American groups. Why is it that we don't really see them as apparent as we might before. That's right. because when we have to learn back, it's because of colonization. It's because of the Indian Removal Acts. It's because right. of scalping Native American heads. It's because of all of these things. But these are topics that are very contentious. These aren't things that you but can But
0: not just... contentious. It's more like, right, hey, that's just what it was. Right. Um, it's not contentious for me. I think even the most about. conservative historians can also argue yeah. like that was the reality of what happened. Exactly.
1: But it becomes contentious because then you have folks who are like, wait, wait, wait. I don't want them to learning this history. I've had definitely last year too vulgar, year.
0: too dark, too exactly.
1: Or it's like, oh, that's not right because you. It's not necessarily that the students are the ones that are pushing back because students want to learn. That's. The point of what school is right but it's the people from the outside it's not even just the parents because i've definitely run into parents that were like whoa i don't i want my child to sit out of this lesson Mm. um and the lesson was talking about roe versus wade and the and body policing for women during the time last year and i definitely had students who had to sit out because of what their family said but i've also ran into and i'll get into more i've definitely ran into much More complicated and difficult conversations When it becomes talking about war And talking about colonization today Hint, hint, Israel-Palestine, right? So when I was talking a little bit about that It became a whole debacle We weren't able to I've had people come in And had to like micromanage my class, essentially They would come in and just kind of listen in all the time Without my permission They would come in and ask to review my lesson plans They would come in and just essentially watch me teach And for anybody who's not a teacher, you probably think it's not that big of a deal. Like bosses observe you all the time, and right. they're supposed to see, but. It's um, a different, it's a different. Completely, f- yeah. completely. Because imagine when you're teaching these children who, when you already have one adult in the classroom, it already changes the dynamic. Mm-hmm. And these aren't my children. So it's hard, like I have a specific relationship with them. But once maybe say the principal or an admin comes in, that maybe the students don't really know that well, or sees them as a specific power figure, the dynamic changes. They might not say the things that they most clearly would have said if it was just me. They might not be able to be as free of a child or Be their full selves when someone another adult is in the classroom. And that's just the reality of it, right? So I think that when I was first going into the role of being a history teacher, I already knew that I was going to come with all these complications. But it wasn't until I actually received the pushback about how I designed my curriculum that it became a real big problem that I wasn't specifically supposed to teach about Palestine anymore, that why was I teaching necessarily about Native Americans so much or why was I talking about slavery when they should have went over in U.S. history already when in real, or when they should have went over in world history already or maybe in ancient history, mm. when in reality when you look back at it, with the students that you get, especially in a history class they take with them what their families have said, what they have heard, mm. what their old teachers have either told them or the lies that they have told them or a perspective that was more dominant than those who maybe should have been listened to right. like student like people of color or women or black and brown indigenous folks it just makes you think like yes history teachers have a holy way of of being able to choose their curriculum but like what you were saying it's that social setting because mm-hmm. history is so much about being able to see the world through a specific lens and analyzing and critiquing them that not every parent or every individual wants their child to be that critical, right. or maybe not. Maybe not even wording it that way. Not even
0: not that critical, but just they don't want them to learn that stuff. And I think that's an interesting point, like because there's all these other markers or barriers that we have to cross over before we even introduce a curriculum. I think that goes right. into like the planning time. So now, like, yeah, uh, or now that we have discussed like what the ins and outs of how we choose our curriculum and what that then like the barriers of what that means. It's like, okay, cool. They don't know this. They can't learn this. They need to learn this. Right Now you need to go figure out how to blend all those ideas together and plan the unit. Yeah. Plan the documents. Make the slides. Have the segues. Have the meaningful pauses for intention of chunking the text or having to pause for discussion or a mm-hmm. debate in class. It's That's a lot of planning time that can't happen within a day like some orgs or some schools would give a teacher to do. Or even... If we're lucky. If we're lucky or... And that's another thing too, I think that goes back into like the myth of agency because those things are supposed to be already created for us mm-hmm. by just teach to the book or teach exactly what's already available or by curriculum or by curriculum. Cam or Mr. Cam, I already have, I already taught that. You can just take this and use it next year. And I'm like, oh, cool. But I think to look at, looking at curriculum is not like reading a book. That's right. Like we can read it. We can walk away with the same information. We can walk away with this, with different interpretations. But because it's uniquely designed for the students that you were teaching at that moment in time, or the students that you continue to teach, mm. it can't be transcendent necessarily to the kids I teach and how I teach. That's right. Right? So if someone's going to talk about maybe U.S. history and slavery, you'd have to read it and say, I agree, agree, disagree. Mm, we've talked about it before. My kids have this take on it, and I want to expand more on that so that we mm. can critique that idea that I didn't agree with before, right? So it's a lot of this planning time that no one ever takes into consideration but like if you want me to teach for intentionality then I need to really have enough time to map the yeah. unit right and I think that's where teachers begin to feel pressured or they essentially I don't use the word suck but I think that's where some teachers just really are horrible teachers when that I agree because there's no planning time it almost feels like they're coming in every day with something relevant but almost like I can't see the connection and I think right. good teachers know how to say know how to review and scaffold. So let it be like, oh yeah, we did this on Monday. It's now the the following Friday. Mm-hmm. I see how we got to this point. Now I'm able to really figure out the point they're trying to make, right? So that, to let me be the critical thinker of how I'm getting yeah. from here on my own. But curriculum, I think if you copy or you take from others, you can help. But I think having to just teach to somebody else's curriculum is where the planning time, I think they try to make excuses like, well, it's already out there. Just use it. And I'm like, okay, but that's not who it's I am. not going to get my kids specifically, right where and it's like I guess it is about us, right? because we are creative and we want to be our we are designers and we are scientists and when it comes to how we teach our stuff. But there's something about when you give more planning time, I'm able to be a lot more creative, more intentional and just I'm better on my game. yeah, like and I'm just I keep using the word intentional, but I think that's that's the word I think that's like the main word of this myth of agency. If you don't mm. have that time to do it, you can't that's not anything in life, right? if you if your lover or significant other, is birthday is tomorrow and you decided that you want to wait until the morning over that evening before the birthday to say i'm gonna go buy a gift mm. and the gift you feel you you it on like oh i'm not really in love with this gift for them i kind of just i'm gonna give it to them but i'm not i'm not so proud of it right yeah. that because of lack of intentional intentionality you didn't yeah. have enough time or you didn't make enough time or maybe you weren't given enough time yeah. to do
1: that yeah i think it's such a i agree with everything you're saying and i think also it's like how can you expect a teacher to be 100% in their A game and teaching with all of these standards and every and hoops and hurdles and test taking and skills and you have to do it all within a specific time frame how in the hell are we supposed to do all of that when the moment we get to school it's you teach mhm i don't know of any job that Well, unless you're getting paid a fuck ton or you're also maybe working a different type of job. But I'm pretty sure at like other jobs, when you get there, you can prepare for something. You can get stuff getting on before you do work. But for teaching, it's like, no, you should have done all that work the day before during your own time. Unpaid at home or the weekends. Like what we were saying before about how our weekends are almost consumed with having to develop things that we want to teach. And, you know, it. It's it gives you something to do on the weekends for sure.
0: Yeah, but like not like a. But that's, that's a word. hobby or love of mine. Like no, you can't wear to like you get something to do like like I, I mean you're right. I had nothing planned for the weekend necessarily, but I could have. That's what it is. make it seem like oh like I was looking forward to doing this is almost like wrong. No, exactly.
1: <laughs> so it just makes you think like you expect so much from teachers. Yeah, And you say that you can do whatever you need, but the structures aren't there to help us really be the best teachers that we want
0: to be. And I think those PDs, I think their intention mm-hmm. is to help make teachers the best models in the classroom, the best experts, the best instructional design, um, planners and classroom management leaders. But those things can be copied and paste for every individual who teaches, right? Exactly. You can't give a classroom management seminar mm-hmm. and expect 30 of us to walk away with it i'm not going to brag here but mr ml or marco and i like, you see look at how i'm having to not balance that personal <laughs> work life we are expert when it comes to our classroom management because we are tough we are warm and we are respected and i think and i think because we are we plan so much with intentionality our kids naturally just always have buy-in to whatever we're going to be talking about like i know you're going into investments yeah. and the next few weeks for your next unit that's a hard thing to buy in for kids who don't have money or who don't see the bigger picture of what life will be in the next 20 years for them, right? Yeah. But naturally, because they respect you, they love you, they have a lot of, they just ad- admire you and they know that you plan with so much intentionality and you come up with this great energy, mm. they can do that. Rather than maybe some teachers who are down the hall can't do that, right? right. Because the seminar we're given to them about classroom management cannot copy and paste. Rather, I think having enough time to plan your own curriculum mm-hmm. also cannot be copying and paste, but it'll be a lot I think you'll have a lot more engagement and buying and just structuring your, in your life and yeah. in your classroom because kids yeah. are like, whoa, that's interesting, whatever your name is, or wow, I didn't understand that, or now yeah. I get it. And I think I think we can argue that all subjects can't do that, right? I think math, unfortunately, is one of those subjects of like, thank you, and thank, thank you next. But I know there's kids who love math and can go on for hours about talking about it or just doing the problems, right? Yeah. But I think it goes back to like give the planning time. Yeah. So instead of giving me my weekends to do that or not giving me, instead of making me <laughs> or essentially not making me, but essentially assuming that I'm going to have to right. spend my weekends doing that because there's no, labor. More, there's no more time in the day and your 100 minute prep period that you get two times a week or three times a week won't do nothing for you. No. When your PDS about five, four hours on a Monday, at least for our school, I could have been doing
1: anything else all that work then right
0: and I, I actually wouldn't mind grading on the weekend I actually like grading on my couch right and having some TV on and, and some tea and coffee like having my lo-fi on and doing right. that kind of work that's better for me to do at home than at work but right it goes back to that lack of planning time yeah I hear you
1: so Cam I want to now ask a little bit about the idea of collaborating with colleagues. Um, I know, maybe I don't know. Maybe it was it's a newer thing. But when I was in high school a couple years ago, teachers didn't really collaborate to the intensity or ways that maybe I'm seeing now. And it's not that I'm seeing that everybody's collaborating, right? Right. But I'm hearing the narrative of teachers should always be cross-functional. They should always be cross-intersection. You should be working with this other teacher or working with another person. Um, I want to ask you about that idea about collaborating with colleagues because that's something that's definitely told that we have the complete freedom to and it's highly suggested because we want to be able to connect all of our concepts together right and i do agree with that but what are some things that you're thinking about when it comes to collaborating with colleagues and how that fits into the idea of your myth of agency
0: i love hate it yeah i come from a school background where i don't think i've shared this with you guys before but i work at the same school now that i was a student at years prior. So I've been able to get to their system, but also know that it works. I think because teachers were able to collaborate so well, like to a T, like it almost felt like, wow, that yeah. made so much sense from here to now there. And I know specifically as an English student or English teacher now, my ninth grade through 12th grade English experience was so aligned with the fact that like, if we did one paragraph for unit one, mm-hmm. Unit two was two paragraphs. Unit three was four, three paragraphs. And then from there, took the same skills, the same sentence, started, the same concept, the same ways of talking about how to do an analysis, how to do a thesis, how to do a conclusion, just expanded over time like in, in a larger concept. And so I think that was so why I seamlessly understood why it's important to collaborate. And I think now that the idea of agency that I think... Be, that's another reason. That's a good information point, too. I think because curriculum was copied and pasted so much years right. prior of, like teaching the book we bought curriculum for the teachers here's how you can really streamline everything so naturally or follow the textbook or follow the textbook so I think that's why I was working I also know they did their own creative things too mm-hmm. to help make them the unique individuals that they are in their own classroom and highlight I from them uniquely than everybody else but I think now that I think the teachers are doing their own mm-hmm. creative approaches to the curriculum which is good and that's only happening I think because now we're having to critique mm-hmm. the world around us I think the fact that I'm bringing in novels that are Censored yeah. is because no one wants to teach them before, right? Or the fact that you're talking about a different pr- perspective of what Native Americans endured during their first um, con- communication or conflict of mm-hmm. with American settlers. That's a new thing we're talking about, right? We talked yeah. about it very so briefly, and so now that we're having all these new conversations, there's going to be a lot of disconnects happening. Or right. the season of veteran teachers are saying, "Why well, teach like this?" And so when you do that, it's kinda gonna be weird mm. of how I'm gonna help bring them. In. And I think it depends on your, your placement. Yeah. Are you a lower grade level teacher or are you an upper grade level teacher? Right. And right. that's gonna matter. And that, that matters for collaboration purposes. And I think as younger teachers, I think we always wanna seek guidance. And maybe this is me. I think I like to see right. I like, I like to seek support and guidance and say, hey y'all, this is what I'm working on. These are what the kids have been producing. They're like, oh my god, that's so amazing. Yeah. And then when they ask you to give a a PD or a piece of focus of like, hey, Cam, can you help your grade level or can you help your department help streamline these conversations? I have to work against personalities, Mm. right? A seasoned teacher who's my department teacher, who's my department chair, who maybe loves what I do, do, but has a very unique way of how he or she does it, is not going to necessarily say, cool, jumping on board today. Unless it's on something like something very broad, like we can all agree on a rubric sometimes. Right. Right, that's a very broad thing. It has nothing to do with us as an individual. It's just more like this is how we're assessing them. Yeah. Which can be biased, but it, that can be streamlined very easily. But the way in which you talk about a history topic, or the way how you, how you approach a novel, or how you construct anything in English, I think, is really individualized. There's a reason that I think everybody walks away with saying like, oh, I learned how to write it like this. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I do like this. And they're both correct. But that you can always streamline. So I think that's where I I love hate collaborating where it can be so natural until it becomes so like independent and like there's no need to. I get it.
1: I get it. I want to also say that like it comes back to the idea of like the structured time, right? Like when are we going to actually get time to collaborate? I think that when you have this whole idea of, oh, we teachers are all working in tandem to support the grade. Well, when the hell are we going to actually meet to be able to talk with each other? like Or make practical change, like yeah, tomorrow. Yeah. Or like, next week. Exactly. Like, something. like, yeah, maybe I do have the same kind of period off, or what we call prep, to be able to just work with one specific teacher. But I don't have the same period off as maybe, say, the biology teacher. I don't have the same period off as a Spanish teacher. I don't have the same period off as a math teacher. And that's what
0: people are supposed to necessarily do. Right, but but... we're
1: spending time doing other things. So it's, am I supposed to like schedule a Zoom meeting at 8 p.m. with the biology teacher and talk about what I'm teaching and ask them what they're teaching, and then talk about the same concepts together? No, I'm yeah. not going to do that.
0: And not every school. I mean, I know our schools are a very unique one that we get to have different. We have different PDs for different days, and I know public schools tend to have sporadic PDs mm-hmm. that don't. That everybody has to attend, or some people have to yeah. just do. Cause they have to sign up at least for two for the academic semester or the unit or whatever they're working on that quarter. But like we have something called grade level. Yeah. We have the general PD, and then we have something called the um, department. Yeah. And all those things are helpful. But they just almost feel so scattered about. Yeah. So here I am collaborating with my grade level, but I'm not a grade level lead. Yeah. So we talk about it. Whatever happens behind closed doors comes back to me either changed or new, and it's like, yeah, we're gonna do these things now, but we still haven't finished the first project. Right. It's almost like so. What like there's a very big disconnect of so like collaborate, but it almost just feel like we're just here to talk and complain together. I get it.
1: I get it. Do you also think that our age also factors into maybe? In terms of uh, how we collaborate with colleagues. 100%. What do you mean by that?
0: And again, I'm trying to tutor our home. I think because our admin and our fellow teachers know that we're so competent and that what we do is amazing work. I'm not going to lie. The testing scores for my ninth grade students Mm. are a lot higher than the teacher prior. you teaching them prior. And that's not to be shaded. It's not to be anything. That's just what it is. And I'm younger than her. And I've only been teaching for not even a full year. Yeah. But... That only matters so much Mm. when it comes to a place, and I think all academics, even college and universities are very big on seniority. Mm. You can be the drunkest, most laid back, unprofessional, uneducated professor, but you have the doctor, you have the seniority of the tenure, and no one can question the validity of how you do things or how you need to approach things and everyone else needs to look for you.
1: Kind of like blindly trusting them simply because they've been there longer yeah. or they've been doing it longer. And,
0: you know, there is merit to that. For But sure. that doesn't necessarily mean that their word is God. And that's why I think curriculum, when choosing a method of agency, it's like, well, I've taught this textbook for so many years and it seems to be working. And then I'm like, oh, cool. I'm taking aspects of this and I want to add this new yeah, idea yeah, right. because the society is not changing. Want, I want kids to be more... Relevant, conscious of what's actually happening, than what was happening, then it becomes that interest of conflict of like, you have ten year, your textbook, your curriculum has ten year, mm. and when those things are no longer working because the reality has changed, then it's like, thank you, but no thank you. Yeah, it works. It's true. And then then we have PDs about what's not working. We mention it. You're right, I'm seeing the same thing, but no one's willing to do the work or no one's giving the time right. to make those practical changes. I agree. We are not PhD students, we are not researchers, we are practical in the field mm-hmm. every day, 24 hours, 8 hours a day, Monday through Saturday, Monday through Friday, working. We That's need right. change to be relevant but also practical. That's true. And not just so theoretical. Yeah, so what we're all both saying is that...
1: The age that we have also influences maybe the agency that we thought we would have had too. (laughs) But because of how young we are and newer to the field, and you know, I think there is some truth that we're younger so there's much for us to learn And i want to learn yeah i agree Not with that questioning that but there's a reason why we're younger teachers and why we are here in the moment that we are now mm. for people who might have taken a bit longer to be here and there's no shame in the time frame but it's just the interesting fact that,
0: point that's another interesting factor, but it's just right? the fact
1: that we made it here at this specific time right yeah. and we were here ready we're here wanting to do it So what's the hesitation of giving us that agency, right? The hierarchies. Yeah. That's all it is. And you know, I think that leads into our last topic about how we navigate these title hierarchies. And what we mean by that is how do we exactly navigate when we have to think about maybe talking to an administrator or maybe talking to a principal? Maybe not even that big. Maybe we're Mm. thinking about who is our grade level lead or maybe even thinking about those title hierarchies like our department lead. Cam, what are you thinking in terms of that initially?
0: I'm in a unique situation. Um, I think because we're a small founding school, right, and we're not so developed just yet, and not, in the, and I think even in the next two years when we have a full four-year graduating program, will we still not be where we need to be, right? It takes mm. the schools years to get to their performance and where they want to be, and I think because my department chair was naturally, now I wouldn't say voted in, but I think because this teacher was already the first teacher here to teach right. English. It only makes sense naturally and only disrespectfully. And hierarchies yeah. would say that you're supposed to give that teacher that naturally. Yeah. And I'm only year one, so I'm not expecting that to be my thing next year or in a year or two from now. But I think it's almost like we're playing that game of like history. Well, because that was the order mm. and that's how it's supposed to be. Or let's not question it. They, they're the experts. It's like, no, they're not the experts. They just happen to have that title. Or happen to be their first. That I, and I think, oh, and I think about like, the of Agency, again, I, I don't know if about you, but I know when I was in college, professors would always give me literature, like awesome like ideas on how, how, how I can approach this kind of topic in the classroom. Mm. Cam, you can maybe use this book for your classroom and condense it next year, or when you start teaching, I'm like, oh, I love this book. And I think because my professors have no teaching in the classroom experience, and they have no experience of what it is to have those standards... It almost like because you know professors never teach. Yeah, yeah, they don't. Like I had a teaching. lot of English professors, but they never ever they never were English teachers no. who had to follow curric- curriculum and standards. And so it's almost like I love these ideas. I'm taking them. I want to apply them in the real world when I start teaching. Right. Same thing with my with my tenure. Te- where my with seasoned teachers are doing the same thing like me. But theories have changed, approaches have changed. But because of those hierarchies, it's really hard to navigate. Like Cameron, like even SEL, like standards and like yeah, that approach Yeah, or social now. emotional learning. It's it's very new to a lot of teachers. Yeah. Younger teachers embrace it. I think that's what we're being taught now in our, in our right. programs. Older teachers are embracing it to an extent, but I think even younger teachers are just like, mm, okay, we can move on from this point, from this yeah. point. And that's a whole different conversation. But I think it's, again, just having to navigate those hierarchies. The things that are already set in place, people tend not want to want to move them around. Yeah. There's a reason teachers don't make more than principals or admin, is because that, that hierarchy has been established that, nope, these are the workers necessarily, and here I am doing the foundational, behind-the-scenes work and therefore that's why I get paid more, when I think maybe it can be the opposite. But I just I would have to to really re-question all those hierarchies in order to break those systems down. So I feel like that's why I'm trapped in that situation where I love collaborating, I love to use my own curriculum, but then I can't, but then I have to not, and then it's this whole ordeal. I think what makes it
1: a more realist, more of a reality check and a Kind of a thinking process about why won't we as professionals just say what we feel right Mm -hmm. like i think maybe some people might be thinking or maybe sometimes we might be thinking why can't i just say it or why can't i just be like actually i don't want to do that it's not going to work and i just want to try it Mm -hmm. i think when i think about that we have to take a step back Mm -hmm. and remember that again this is a job for us and not only that like If we step out of line, quote unquote, because we are very we are we aren't ignorant to the fact that schools are breeding grounds for what society should and shouldn't look like Mm -hmm. that we teach specific really unique
0: responsibility.
1: Exactly. We teach and whether for good or bad. Right. That's Mm -hmm. what the schools are structured as. So it's like you think about how we teach students and basically tell them you can do this in society. You can't do that in society. You should talk this certain way. You shouldn't talk the certain way. I think that we also bring that in when we become become teachers, right? And we also, when we have to talk back to our bosses, we might not just say right away, like, actually, you're dumb. You don't know what you're doing. You're not a teacher. Because we have to think about, this is our job. and There
0: are are social and financial consequences for me. And if we lose this job, we can't even be surviving anymore. And we as individuals are not replaceable. I know kids still email you and still text yeah. you and I have a lot of kids from my other school that I used to really just talk to me and was like, when they see me in the store like, Mr. KM! So I can't be replaced as an individual. Right. But I can be replaced, I, that individual can be replaced in the classroom. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, I difference. hear you on that. So it's like, yeah, we can think a lot about like, oh,
1: but these are like easy fixes almost. But we have to think about the power dynamics that also yeah. play into here. People who are a lot older than us who might have more seniority. But just because you're older doesn't mean you have more wisdom. No. Just because you're older doesn't mean that you know more. It just means you spent more think, time on earth. I think
0: history, as a history you can. there's so many evidence and right. points of contact to be like, yeah, no, usually the elderly can maybe deter you from... They're the ones stuck in the ways what, ...what actually needs to get done for relevant reasons. Yeah. Not that they're not wrong. Not that they're not accurate. It's more like, is that relevant? That's right. Does it matter right now? That's right. You know? Yeah. So then I think like
1: that's where teachers are in a very interesting place. Mm-hmm. I think to kind of wrap it up and think about is that, yeah, we teachers and specifically the humanities teachers and what we can speak of, we have a lot of freedom what we can do. We wanna teach more about the black and brown and the indigenous people. We wanna teach more about perspectives of folks who are poor, folks who are marginalized, people who might have never ever been contacted or talked about in the classroom. But when we do that as teachers, me and him, we think about like, well, what about the standard? What about the test? When are we going to have the time to do this? Will my department chair say yes? My kids
0: are not going to be assessed on the, the factual history of what happened to Native groups across the state of California or the United States. Yeah, so it's like... We want to
1: do all these amazing things as teachers, but hopefully, like, as you're hearing this, you see, like, why there's so many roadblocks into teaching and how many roadblocks lead to people leaving the teaching profession. Because you're promised this freedom, you're promised agency to be able to do whatever you want in teaching. But once you get here, you realize that this was just a myth.
0: Or the fact that, I, mean, I know we're about to end this episode, but I, the fact that there are so many eager young teachers to get into the field yeah. now... Because they wanna shake it up or they wanna like, wait, I've been taught a lie and I wanna right. I wanna critique or I wanna show another way, alternative how you can attack this problem, or how you can then approach this conversation, or how you can then dissect this kind of essay or this kind of literature. Yeah. And so I think if the majority is ruling that these are the ones who yeah. are gonna be changing the world, who are gonna be molding the minds of tomorrow, well then let them have that agency. Yeah. Because I think in years prior, it's the same thing when the older teachers and seasoned teachers who are the first ones coming in saying, I'm new, this is what i learned, I want to shake it up. Those have now been accepted. Mm. And now it's maybe time for a new- A new shake up. Or a shake up, but also like, it can happen simultaneously. It can be yeah. not forget the old and bring in the new. It can be- let's, We gotta let's have both. The, both. the new and the old. We gotta have
1: both. But if we continue the path that we're doing right now, because I know this is not an isolated thing. Mm-hmm. I know that it's not, not just- unique. it's not We're not unique. It's not you and me are only experiencing this. I can say with certainty that young teachers all across are feeling similar. I've had people that I've worked with last year. I know people that I'm not working with, but are teachers that feel very similarly. And then they rem- we remind ourselves, why are people leaving the profession? Right. Why are young people not even wanting to be in the How can profession?
0: we prepare them for tomorrow? Well, if we're not giving them the factual history or relevant information they need, then we're not preparing them for tomorrow. We're, pre- we're preparing them for the test and we're moving them on.
1: Yeah. And teachers can do it. Teachers really can. That's kind of why we're here we chose this because we know we have the specific skill sets to do it and even if we don't we will learn it and we'll develop it For sure. but if you continue down this path of only listening to those who are here longest or only listening to those who may be in administrative or managing roles you're going to lose out on a really good teachers and who suffers the most the kids yeah they're the ones who will be losing out on this special moment that they might have with us as teachers i
0: agree
1: well cam i know this Turn out to be a really rich conversation I, uh, Do do have any last things to say to kind of just end it off yeah you can end it off well i just want to say thank you um i think like as we are talking about this stuff it always helps us be reflective to kind of think about where our positionalities are as teachers and we're not saying that teaching is obsolete or useless but we're saying that there are things that has to be done not only on the teaching level but the people who are supposedly the ones who manage and administrate us, yeah. the people who are the ones who are supposed to, who are getting paid more, well, they're the ones who might need to be making and implementing
0: these changes for right. us. So come in, y'all, practical of what you're going to have to do, but also don't be scared to take a risk.
1: Yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of Teacher Talks. My name is Marco Landon. My name is Cameron Lopez. And hope you all have a great day. Thanks, guys.